Ninja. Greetings all and welcome to Geography Ninja. And today what we're going to be looking at is London Docklands. So this huge area uh, in the east of London that's changed um, almost completely over the last 30 years or so. So we'll we'll take a look at it and we'll think, you know, what, what happened there, why it changed, uh, what it's like now and what else is going on there. And so we're going to start off with just asking, where is it? Where is London Docklands? And um, what we can say about London Docklands, where it is, it's east of Tower Bridge. So where the city of London uh, finishes, the eastern fringe of the city of London, you've got Tower Bridge. And it's the area that hugs the, the River Thames, mostly on the north shore of the River Thames. Um, and... It, it's it's quite a large area, so it includes places uh, with names such as Wapping, Limehouse, the Isle of Dogs, Royal Docks and Surrey Docks. So this whole area up until really, I, I suppose, the early 1970s were the largest docks in the UK. Uh, they They were London's docks and they really had grown up during the period of the... British Empire. So huge amounts of imports and exports were making their way through uh, London's docks. And this really gave a, a huge character to this part of, of London, which included um, livelihoods for you know the whole population, with really everybody there working or connected with the, the docks in some way, whether, whether they were actually uh, dock workers or supporting those dock workers. Um, most of the people were, were unskilled and often worked as casual labourers, so um, just waiting to see that particular day whether there was any work to be done. Um, <clears throat> now, the, the other thing to say about this part of London, so... You know the the docks had been there for for sev several hundred years, and really, you know, when we get to the, uh, the their height, probably around the end of the nineteenth century, early twentieth century, um, <clears throat> there's lots of accounts that there was, there was quite poor communications between uh, the docks and other parts of London. So there was there was really the idea that London Docklands developed in a bit of isolation from the rest of the city. And that gave the the communities of uh, London Docklands quite a distinctive culture and slang. And it was very tight-knit, uh, close-knit community in this place. Uh, the, the Isle of Dogs, which is, is one of the central parts of uh, the present-day Docklands with, with Canary Wharf, uh, was only accessible by, by road uh, via two swing bridges so it was it was definitely cut off really from from other other places okay so bringing us more up up to date then um really london's docks went from from being la europe's largest port in around 1900 to um 60 or 70 years later it was it was really nearing the end of its uh existence as an an effective usable Port and one of the main reasons for this is because London's dock facilities they had to had to shift they had to move because <clears throat> what you had was containerization you had these huge new 
container ships which just could not navigate uh, far up the Thames to reach um, London's Dockland. So new docks had to be built at places like Tilbury, which is out on the the Thames estuary. So um, it was really, well, the docks closed officially in around 1981, but um, up until the 1970s, they, they were still functioning. We get to the the late 1970s, um, between about 1978 and 1983, uh, there's around 1,200 jobs that get lost. So by the 1981 census in this part of London, you've got something like 60% of adult men being unemployed. Um, so, you know, the closure of the docks was, was uh, a really big deal in this, in this area. Um, in fact, devastating really to these local communities. So what happened as a result of the docks closing down is you had population decline in the area. So <clears throat> throughout the 70s, um, the, the population of the East End of London went down by around 100,000 people. Okay, so well, <clears throat> around that same sort of time with the, um, the depopulation of the, the Docklands, the whole area starts to become derelict so you know jobs are going services are going down um, living conditions are, get, are getting uh, a worsening so you had all these back-to-back -back terrace houses really falling into disrepair uh, at the time and the people leaving were really uh, you know leaving to look for work so a lot of this uh, Docklands population would have moved out of London completely um, so in, further east often to to Essex and um, the the conditions weren't weren't great so we mentioned the the unemployment big job losses and we get really to the end of the 1970s and we've got somewhere in the in the region of over 5000 acres of derelict land and remember all of this land is is water waterside land it's river riverside um land it's a fact Okay, so this is when it starts to get interesting then. So in 1981, <clears throat> this is the time in Britain where Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister. Um, unemployment was, uh, was rising. There was definitely very difficult economic circumstances and there were various riots going on in urban areas as lots of youth felt very alienated. Um, in, so in places like uh, uh, Liverpool and parts of London, um, Bristol and so on, there were, there were some riots. So in 1981, the government decides to set up the London Docklands Development Corporation, which was the biggest one of the urban development corporations. And this was really in response to some of this social unrest and unemployment that had been caused by the closure of, uh, well, in London's case, the closure of the, the, the Docklands. So what was really going on here in terms of uh, geography, uh, you've, you've had this big change in employment sectors. So it's, it's part of the decline of the what's called the secondary sector, which is sort of the manufacturing sector. And you begin to see the rise of the tertiary sector, which is which is largely services. And it's, it's this, you know, you could use this to really underpin a lot of the changes that have happened in London Docklands over the last uh, 30 to 40 years. So the LDDC, the London Docklands Development Corporation, was set up and um, the area of Docklands became the first what they call enterprise zone 
1981. And uh, one of the things that did, it made the land was made free of any rates for, for 10 years. So if you were a business looking to set up in an area and get a bit of government backing and encouragement, um, Docklands was, was pretty good. So the LDDC, their task, you know, had some money from the public sector, so the government put some money into it, but their task was to attract in private investment into the area. And they were supposed to um, attract in far more in private investment than the government had put in. So it was definitely, you know, start off with the public sector, get the private sector to bring money in uh, and invest in the area. So it's especially the case in the Isle of Dogs. And part of this was about improving its image and also improving the transport connections. Because as we said, this area uh, previously had been a little bit cut off. Um, so the LDDC had some government funding. It had the the power to acquire land and also it had control over planning, which um, considering this was a conservative government under Margaret Thatcher at the time and the LDDC had been directly set up by the government, um, the lots of the local councils in the area, uh, like Tower Hamlets and Newham and, and uh areas in the Docklands, these these were Labour control councils. So this is quite a controversial decision to give the LDDC full full control over over planning. So this whole process uh, became known as market-led regeneration uh, because it was the idea that the the private sector, uh, those those organizations, companies that were investing in the Docklands were um, were making decisions about the uh, the future of the Docklands and the the LDDC had three main tasks and the first one was about improving social condition by doing things like building uh, new housing and facilities uh, the second one was improving economic conditions so largely uh, creating new jobs and making the transport system better and thirdly uh, it was improving environmental conditions. So that was about reclaiming derelict land and just making it a, a greener uh, place, uh, planting trees and so on, open space. And I suppose these days it's difficult to think how significant this uh, this might have been. So if you visited the Docklands um, in the last few years, it's um, it's an easy place to get around. You've got a nice Docklands light railway. Um, you've got new sort of uh, shopping malls, you've got offices, it's, you've got some really uh, expensive uh, apartments and things like that. So it's, um, it's difficult to remember what the place was like uh, before. A lot of people can't remember what it's like. You've got to look back at old photos to see what it's like. But um, <clears throat> we're talking here about 21 square kilometres of available building land that made up London Docklands and this is you know within a very short geographical distance of central London so there's very few other opportunities anywhere else any other city areas of cities so close to um, the centre that had really a, a clean slate wiping the slate clean and thinking we can just rebuild we can build a completely new area um, right on the doorstep of uh, central London, but that's that's pretty much what happened um, throughout a lot of the eighties, nineteen eighties onwards. 
So another thing that was happening around this sort of time was that the Thames Barrier was built. And um, this was built in uh, the... Well, it was became operational in 1982. And the idea behind the Thames Barrier was to prevent flooding uh, in London. London's really, really quite flat. Most of it is quite flat and it's not very high above sea level. And the Thames is actually um, an estuary. So really, once you, once you get past the, the Docklands, it opens out uh, into the Thames estuary. And really, the, the floodplain of the Thames is a lot of Greater London. And what can happen sometimes is you can have very high tides uh, on the North Sea and storm surges. So the Thames barrier was to really to be able to close that barrier um, when there was a risk of any flooding on the river um, as the high tide sort of comes up the river from the, um, the, the North Sea and the Thames estuary. So that, that was built in the, or became operational in 1982. And the other thing was London City Airport. So that's on the, the sort of eastern uh, fringes of the Docklands, um, which really became operational in, I think it was 1987, when it was officially opened. So all that was going on. So you've got some big infrastructure projects happening in the 1980s. The other thing that was quite major was the uh, the Docklands Light Railway that went in. And this was this is an overground railway. And if you haven't been on it, it's really good, uh, good to see it and to go there. Kids love it because you can sit right at the front of the train and they're all sort of automatically... Uh, controlled trains so that they, they like driverless trains and you can sit right at the front and you get a fantastic view um, over uh, London Docklands but that went in really trying to connect up part of uh, well all of Docklands really with central London and um, this was a, one of the major priorities of the LDDC. Ooh, that's quite interesting. So as a result of all this, uh, loads of things changed and London Docklands today looks completely different. So there's a really big transformation in terms of employment, but also in how the land was used. So you had a lot of high rise office buildings going in, um, lots of, sort of financial sector investment banks and different companies in what they call the knowledge um, economy. So some big companies like Barclays, HSBC going in there and what could be called the flagship project was Canary Wharf. Um, <clears throat> that's uh, one of one of London's one of London's tallest buildings. So you've got a lot of changes going in and the the, the low startup costs did attract quite a number of, of um, high tech firms. Um, you know, so knowledge economy, we could include things like there was the Limehouse, ITB Studios, the Guardian, the Daily Telegraph newspapers all moved to um, to Docklands. One of the other things that changed um, was population. So previously we talked about a population decline. Well, between 1981 and 2000, the population of Docklands more than doubled, so it went up from 40,000 in 1981 to about 85,000 uh, by the year 2000. And some of the other changes included um, what could be called gentrification. So this is where lots of the, the old dockside warehouse buildings were transformed into luxury flats and um, also lots of new build 
happened in Docklands and there was a lot of um there was some low cost affordable housing that was built but really the area did attract in uh wealthy uh, new residents into the area who were maybe working in some of the uh, the knowledge economy and high tech and investment banks in Dockland. So this is a really good example of what's called gentrification, and this um you, you could define gentrification as some sort of change um, to the social status of a location, and it's usually when um, the older poorer working class inner city residents move out and new wealthier middle class residents move in and take take over the places and one and part of the dramatic transformation uh was really in in the the change in the housing stock in the area but where you did have you know multi-million pound uh, riverside apartments literally just um, a street away from um older slightly run-down council-owned properties um, in places uh, such as the, the Isle of Dogs. So another big change was uh, there's a new shopping area, a uh, shopping mall that was constructed at Canary Wharf. Uh, a number of parks were also created uh, in the area. But certainly a lot of the new housing would have been far too expensive for local people to afford and a lot of the new jobs were going to people who, who came from outside the area. Um, <clears throat> many of the locals wouldn't have had really the, the uh, skills, the technical skills needed to work in things like the financial sector or um, high-tech high quaternary industries. So, you know, lots of the, the original East End Dockland residents would have, would have moved out around this time and there was some tension um, between you know the the development, who was the development for in the Docklands? Was it was it just getting the older residents out and new people in, you know, changing the social structure um, of the area? All right, so moving on. Uh, well, we can't really tell the story of Docklands without telling the story of some of the migrants who moved into uh, London particularly um, around the, t well, from between the, the sort of late 40s and the 1970s. So last year, 2018, that was the, the 70th anniversary of the arrival of uh, the Windrush, the Empire Windrush, the, the very iconic, famous ship um, that brought uh, about 800 uh, Caribbean migrants into, into Britain in 1948. And they landed at Tilbury Dock, which is just just to the east of uh, where where Docklands is. And those eight hundred Car Caribbean migrants were the first, really, of about half a million Commonwealth citizens who settled in Britain between nineteen forty eight and nineteen seventy one. So these migrants, you could call them post colonial migrants. So you know, around that time, the post war period is when the British Empire was winding up, so it's the post-colonial era, and uh, uh, most of those migrants were invited to come and live in Britain to help rebuild the country after um, World War II. And, you know, lots of, lots of those migrants would also have settled in parts of the Docklands. So within Docklands, you do have some, some quite big uh, ethnic, eth ethnic minority 
communities, um, in, including um, many uh, Bangladeshi um, communities in places like the, uh, the Isle of Dogs. Yes, yes, I see, I see. So the last thing I want to tell you about is what's what's been going on more recently. So the, the whole area really beyond London Docklands, sort of going more eastwards to the the sea and to the, the mouth of the Thames estuary, is called the Thames Gateway. And this is a whole area that's been earmarked for development by um, by various governments over the last couple of decades. But one of the um, the big changes that's that's currently under underway is um, what's called the uh, the London Gateway, and this is this is really a new port. What's been described as a mega port. Um, it's about twice the size of the city of London, and it runs for about three kilometres along the Thames estuary. Now, it, it's actually it's it's been built by Dubai, so this is foreign direct investment, foreign uh, foreign direct investment, which is money coming in to the UK from overseas so we invest in building uh, infrastructure and so on uh, this is a 1.5 billion pound new development and it's it's really changing this uh, this part of um, Essex so it's 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 situated in Essex which is just the east of the areas we've been talking about the uh, London Docklands it's on the north bank of the Thames estuary it's between Canvey Island and Tilbury and this is a really huge development so and just to say it's it's got the world's largest cranes and it's run by robots largely so um, you've got something in the region of 30 million tons of silt had to be dredged out of the way to uh, to, to create artificial land so it's extended the the shoreline about 400 meters um, into the Thames estuary now, ecologically, surely this has got some consequences, and um, the report I've seen has said that you, it's seen one of the largest recent migrations of animals in Europe, with um, many of the species being relocated to a nearby nature reserve. But it's it's included dredging a 100-kilometre trench along the Thames estuary, and part of that is to allow really big container ships in um, the rationale behind building this um, this ten uh, London Gateway uh, mega port is really that currently most of the cargo coming into the UK is coming in via Felixstowe or Southampton, so two other two other ports which are a bit of a distance away from London. Uh, a lot of it, once it comes into those ports, is being um, moved by uh, lorry by truck to uh, places in the Midlands where, where it's the distribution centres are and then a lot of it gets transported all the way back to London. So it sort of does make sense to have a really large port close to London. Um, and as I say, you've got the world's tallest cranes in the world. They're about 138 metres tall, um, all of which are made in China. All of these giant cranes are made in China and they're shipped fully assembled into um, the London Gateway megaport and you know the idea is that they are that big so they can uh, they can operate effectively for the these the world's largest container ships 
And the other thing that the London Gateway uh, Megaport has is um, storage capacity. Now, this has been a bit of an issue in the UK uh, recently. So um, we all know about Brexit. At the, at the time of recording this podcast, um, Brexit has still not happened. Um, it's due to happen on the 31st of October 2019, possibly. But who, who knows what's, what's going to happen with that? Um, a lot of people have been stocking up. They've been having Brexit, Brexit stockpiles. Uh, the problem is lots of supermarkets no longer have really big storage capacity like they, they used to. And um, they really are dependent on getting um, goods brought to them on a, on a consistent, uh, regular basis, almost like a daily delivery of materials because they don't have the storage capacity. Now, this is called just-in-time where you, you don't store loads of stuff, you just get it brought to you as and when you need it. Now, the thing with the London Gateway, it's got a really huge, a 230-hectare logistics park, um, which allows massive storage capacity for goods coming in um, to the UK. So there you go, London, London Docklands. It's, see, it's seen dramatic changes over the last few decades. Um, <clears throat> if you're if you're in London, if you want to visit London to have a look, I definitely recommend getting onto the Docklands Light Railway and travelling around, seeing it for yourself. So it's a fascinating area. Um, I'd also recommend going to the London Docklands Museum or Museum of London Docklands, as I think it's it's called. Loads of stuff there you can have a look at. But um, there we go. I hope you found it interesting and um, see you next time. <laughs>